One time when I was little, my dad loved to find the most remote of waterways in Canada. I'm talking waterways that weren't even on maps. Before cell phone and robust technology, because the fishing was better, we stopped on a patch of land to cook our lunch, which was some fish we caught over a portable grill. While my dad was cleaning the fish, my younger brother and I went exploring. Not too far into the woods, we found this cave-like structure with man-made structures around the entrance. Every hair on my body stood up and I had an overwhelming feeling of being watched. So I grabbed my brother and we immediately ran back to camp. As we were coming back, an enormous rock came hurling into the air and almost hits our boat. Within inches, my dad turned to yell at us, screaming that we almost hit the boat and to knock it off. But we were running towards him from the opposite direction of the rock trajectory. I saw the WTF look on my dad's face and immediately started to yell about a cave. We noped out so quickly, leaving everything behind, grill and all. My dad and mom were both worked up in a way I've never seen before. We'll never forget that feeling. An old friend of mine had a canine search and rescue operation and had several dogs that had different skills. He had dogs that were trained for different things. One to search for human remains. One that was trained to search for live survivors, including through the rubble of accident or disaster sites. And even a little dog that could detect bedbugs. I would sometimes help in the training of the dogs by hiding in the woods or in hard-to-reach areas, and I loved doing it. It's amazing to see these incredible animals working. Plus, I love them. I sat with them a lot when he was out searching in different parts of the country for actual victims. One afternoon, we were walking through the park with the cadaver dog, a beautiful German shepherd who was the face of the company. Not working, but we did have our canine search and rescue attire on when a man approached. He stopped us to ask if he could pet her, which is not uncommon, and she was super friendly and sweet, so we said, of course... The weird thing is that the moment he stopped, the dog immediately gave her signal and laid down right by his feet. My friend and I looked at each other almost in horror because the dog was signaling that she detected human remains. She was the most experienced of all the dogs and would not have made a mistake. It was clearly her signal. It spooked us both so much that we cut the conversation short and left quickly. To this day, we have no idea what that was about. I should also add that she was trained to detect human remains. She was taught not to alert on animal remains. I still think about that day a lot. After posting it in the other sub, there have been a lot of theories from fellow Redditors. Everything from mortician to rotting toes, or even a dead man's shoes. But none of those reasons would have caused this response. And I honestly still have no idea. And neither does my friend who is a professional. I think seeing him spooked was even more unnerving. He's an army vet that's been in combat, an EMT and a firefighter, and has seen some shit, so he's pretty calm in every situation. While conducting soil sampling in the vast Australian outback, far removed from any signs of civilization, my companion and I stumbled upon an unexpected encounter. Taking a break for lunch, we sought respite beneath the shade of a tree by the dry creek. As we settled in, having been there for several minutes, 
A faint sound caught our attention. A whispered cyst, as if someone were attempting to get our notice. Perplexed, we glanced around, fully aware that the likelihood of another person's presence was virtually impossible in such a remote location. Yet, to our astonishment, the voice persisted, beckoning us with a casual, Sast! Hey, mate, up here! Raising our gaze, we discovered the source of the voice. A sniper perched high up in the very tree that sheltered us. The revelation left us stunned. Little did we know that part of this individual's training involved occupying tree perches for days on end, diligently targeting feral cats. The encounter caught us both off guard, and it appeared that the sniper was equally taken aback to find another human presence in the desolate expanse we found ourselves in. It was a moment of mutual surprise and disbelief, an unexpected meeting in one of the most remote regions of Australia, where the vastness of the land stretches endlessly in all directions. You wanted a strange story, so here's my strange story. First, let me say that I'm the ultimate skeptic. I do not believe in ghosts and stuff that goes bump in the night. As you can tell, I'm from the south. I do a lot of fishing at night. I call it lazy man fishing. You put a lure on the end and put a bell on the end and you pull watch the thing. So I'm fishing one night on my local pond in Shelby County, Alabama. I'm down there on the lake. And I gotta say I keep myself. I'm always armed. I like to believe that if you can get through 12 rounds, then you can get through 12 rounds, then you can get to me. So I feel pretty safe. So I'm fishing one night and I get through fishing and I'm getting ready to leave. I load everything up and I pull out onto the main road and I see this dog come across the road, or what I think is a dog. It's about 50 yards up the road. It's about 50 yards up the road and looks in my direction. It looks straight at me, but it ain't got no eye. Shine, which I find weird because it should have eye. Shine. So I get along and it's in the left-hand lane and I drive by. I looked down at the dog and the dog looked weird to me. I thought, there's something strange about that dog. Well, I go on past him and go up the road. Curiosity gets the best of me, so I turn around. So I come back down the road and there's the dog, or the animal, down in the ditch. Now to give you an example of the size of the animal, I have a mountain core named Charlie. He's probably 45 to 50 pounds. If you know what a cur dog is, you know about the size I'm talking about. So I pull down into the ditch. I mean, headlights on bright, you know, I'm less than 10 feet from this animal. I'm looking at it out the windshield. I'm looking at it out the windshield. I'm looking at it. This dog ain't got no hair and his eyes are a little bit larger than normal what a dog's eyes would be and they are solid black. I have no idea what it could be. As I said, I'm a skeptic. I know what I saw. If I'm lying, I'm dying. George Nuri, the host, asks if it had mange. That's what I thought, but no, it looked. It didn't have the, you know, usually with a dog with mange. It's got patches of hair on it. This didn't have no patches of hair anywhere on it. Nuri asks if it was a dog. Well, I say it was a dog, but with black eyes. You never know. It was strange. I can't explain it.
My grandmother, my mom's mother, recently passed away about two weeks ago. It was a very hard time for my family and my mother. She was the very last grandparent I had as my other grandparents passed away years ago. Additionally, in April of 2021, I lost two uncles within five weeks of each other. Both my mother's brothers. One was expected and the other was not. So it's been a rough couple of years for my poor mother. She's slowly healing, but I'm sure it still hurts her. She was over at my house last night and was telling me about traveling back home. She had to fly overseas for the funeral, and about how it was nice being with her family and just laughing and crying together. She had made it back home one day before my grandmother passed and got to see her one last time. My mom told me some interesting stuff that happened while she was back home with my grandma. First thing happened after my grandma was hospitalized. She had been taken to the hospital at some point before my mom got there. Mom said while the family was visiting her. My grandma, who was 97 years old at the time and mostly blind, said she could see her husband, my deceased grandpa, and my two uncles that had passed away, all standing in the room waiting for her. My mom and aunts and uncles were asking her what she's talking about and told her there was no one here. I have heard about people seeing loved ones right before dying, so I thought that was really interesting. Not much after that, my grandma passed, and they had the funeral for her. Almost the whole town came to my grandma's funeral, as funerals are a big deal back home. My mom, of course, was devastated, but it was expected after all. That night, mom told me she had a dream that she was with a bunch of deceived cousins and family, as well as some living ones. My mom said she looked at her deceased relatives and said, What are you guys doing here? She said, one of her cousins, then said, We're just waiting for your mom. Mom said at that point one of her cousins, who is alive, came up to her and gifted her and gifted her with two boxes of sweets. He said, One is for you and one is for sister. We are sorry for your loss. Mom said after that she woke up. The next day, my mom said she went to my grandma's house to clean out some things with my aunt. Mom said they had a ton of visitors and people coming by to pay their respects. At one point, my mom said her cousin from the dream came to see her. He had brought two boxes of sweets with him. He gave one to my mom and one to my aunt. And obviously my mom was shocked. She told him about the dream, and they all kind of laughed together and discussed it. My mom kept repeating to me how shocked she was at that moment when the same scenario from the dream happened. I asked my mom, who was 56, about what she thought about Grandma seeing the dead relatives and what this all means, the dream included. She said, I really don't know, but it has to be something good. I told her I agreed. In my opinion, there is something very comforting about knowing you could get to see all of your loved ones again when you die and that they almost welcome you home as you pass away. This tells me there just has to be something better waiting for us after this life. I just know it. Thank you for reading. Right off the bat, I'll tell you I'm a 16-year-old kid telling absolutely the truth so God strike me dead. I hope you don't take my report as bogus because of that. Let me explain my situation to you. I live and have lived on the Mulala River for most of my life, and never thought twice about walking around at night or anywhere, period. About two months ago, 
I was alone in my grandma's house using the computer when I decided to go home. My house is only about 50 yards away. As I was stepping outside, the most hideous feeling of being alone in fear thumped my heart. I kept walking in terror when, all of a sudden, about 30 feet off to my right, I heard a loud thumping sound crash out. From there on, being distorted by my act of running faster than I've ever moved before, I could swear I heard the distinctive two-legged footsteps veering toward me from off the trail between houses. I raced in my house, slammed the door, locked it, and sat in the living room to calm down from my strange experience. The oddest feelings flushed through me then and now. Now, before you dismiss my story as a frightened child running from noises, it have to tell you of the strange past our 45 acres of land at the end of the Dickey Prairie Road has had. Around three years ago, when we had cattle and cows fenced on our property, noticed casually of how they would always stay together and go near the barns at night then. One day, we discovered two of them killed up in the woods by the drinking creek. The killings weren't average killings, either. The cows didn't have a scratch on them. Both had broken necks and their eyeballs sucked out cleanly. Since those experiences, I'm now scared to go hiking and travel at night. Yes, average signs of fear, but I have the weird feeling of being an intruder. Thank you for your time sincerely. Sean Murray P.S. I'm a believer. I've lived in Florida my whole life. My sisters and me grew up playing in the woods. There were more than a few times we got weird feelings like we were being followed and we would end up running all the way home. We also found what looked like walking sticks with animal skulls on top, and the sticks were decorated with beads we lived in the middle of nowhere, which made it more creepy because we never ran into anyone else out there. One instance that really sticks out, though, is something that happened to my wife, my son, and me about a year ago. We were checking out a new area to hunt later on in the year. We were walking down a game trail and came up to a big rabbit sitting in the middle of the trail just staring at us. And no matter how close we got to it, he wouldn't move. And the woods were quite as could be. Out of nowhere he darts the way we came in and stops and stares at us again. So we start walking towards him and darts down the trail again, but stopped. It was like he wanted us to follow him, so we did. He ended up leading us to a cool little creek where it seemed like he disappeared. We ate lunch and spent the rest of the day there, but we had an intuition not to go back down that trail. I wasn't alone when this happened. When I was 14, about 6 years and 11 months ago, my scout troop was doing a backpacking trip out in northeastern Oregon. It was some seriously isolated country. The nearest town, with a population of like 70, was about 50 miles as the crow flies away. Nearest town with a population of more than a couple hundred was probably about 100 miles away. And the nearest population center you could call a city was easily hundreds of miles away. We were probably the only people out there for dozens of miles in any direction. One night, after a hard day of hiking in the hot August heat, we were sitting around the fire just relaxing around midnight. 
14 people, not including me, 12 scouts between the ages of 12 and almost 18, and two adult scout leaders. No drugs or alcohol, because it was a Boy Scout thing. We were just shooting the shit when we saw this gigantic, bright, glittering orb slowly moving across the sky. It was a full moon without a cloud in the sky that night, and it was easily twice the size of the moon and a couple times brighter. We thought it was a comet or something, but I've never seen any pictures or videos on the Internet that even came close to resembling it. It was just so bright and glittering. We sat there awestruck because it was quite beautiful. Then it just stops in midair. Just hangs there for a couple seconds. Then it break up into five smaller but just as bright orbs. Two dart into the sky incredibly fast and disappears from sight in seconds. One goes parallel to the ground and also disappears from sight with seconds. And two go towards the ground until the terrain about ten or so miles away obscures. Then from view. Then another orb, just as big and bright, appears and does the same thing. Stops in midair and breaks up. Now that was weird, but the weirdest thing was this odd feeling I started feeling, I started feeling. Fear, dread, anger, hate, none of those can describe it. It was like whatever part of me that assigns emotions to stimuli just could not decide what emotion to assign to this. It just knew it was bad and wrong somehow. The consensus around the campfire was that everyone was feeling the same thing. We had no reason to feel this, but we were all feeling it. Even one of our scoutmasters, a Marine Corps infantry vet who served in Vietnam and had 25 years of law enforcement experience at the time, was seriously freaked out. Then we heard footsteps all around our camp. I know the difference between animal footsteps and human footsteps. Animals walk with a lot of caution. They walk for a bit, stop and scope out the area, walk for a bit, and repeat, especially when there are a dozen-plus humans around. Humans just keep walking. They don't have any caution generally. And the frequency of the steps is different. These were human, or at least human-sounding. And a lot of them, it sounded like a bunch of people just pacing around our campsite. Flashlights revealed nothing. We should have seen them. The steps sounded close, but it looked like no one was there. Just footsteps. The next day there were no tracks, no broken branches or downtrodden plants like you would expect to see. For the rest of the trip, we had someone on lookout every night. I'm not saying this was aliens or some government project or ghosts. I'm not sure if I even believe in those. I'm saying I saw something seriously weird and I'm not jumping to any conclusions. When I ask the other guys who were there, if they remember it, the response is always something to the effect of, yes, I remember, but let's please not talk about it. Edit. Also one time when I was hiking out in the Cascades during the winter, I found a deer skull sitting atop a pile of snow. No footprints around, no snow on the skull, so it had somehow ended up there pretty recently. I need to share this story with someone, to unload the weight of the horrors I witnessed, and to ensure that the memory of my companions is not forgotten. My name is Francis, and I am the sole survivor of an ill-fated hunting trip that will forever haunt my nightmares. It all started like any other year, 
with a group of seasoned hunters gathering for our annual expedition into the remote forests of Texas. We were a tight-knit group, bound by our shared love for the thrill of the chase and the camaraderie that came with it. Little did we know that this trip would be like no other we had experienced before. First day began with promising signs. We encountered an elk and a bear, presenting us with opportunities to prove our skill and prowess. However, fate was not on our side, and we returned to camp empty-handed. Undeterred, we rallied for the second day, hoping that fortune would smile upon us. But as the hours ticked by, the forest remained silent, refusing to reveal its bounties to our eager eyes. Then, on the third day, tragedy struck. As we set out once again, our group dispersed, each of us seeking our prey in different directions. Time slipped away, and after what felt like an eternity, I noticed an eerie silence settling upon the woods. It was as if the very essence of life had been sucked away, replaced by an ominous stillness that sent shivers down my spine. Curiosity got the better of me, and I ventured deeper into the forest, my senses on high alert. What I discovered next would forever sear itself into my memory. There, lying lifeless on the forest floor, was the body of one of our hunters. His life had been abruptly stolen by some predator, its savage claws leaving behind a gruesome testament to its brutality. As I knelt down to analyze the tragic scene, a distant scream pierced the air, echoing through the trees. Panic seized me, and I instinctively ran towards the source of the cry. What I stumbled upon next would forever shatter my soul. There, before my horrified gaze, lay another member of our hunting party, his body brutally torn and half-eaten. The carnage before me was beyond comprehension. In a state of shock, I scanned the surroundings, searching for any sign of the creature responsible for this horrifying bloodshed. And then it happened. A bone-chilling roar echoed through the forest, reverberating through every fiber of my being. I turned towards the sound, and there it stood. A cryptid, a creature resembling a werewolf or a dogman, its monstrous form etched into my mind forever. I was paralyzed with fear, frozen in place as the creature prowled before me, unaware of my presence. Time stood still for what felt like an eternity, my heart pounding in my chest, threatening to burst free. And then, as abruptly as it had appeared, the creature vanished into the depths of the forest, leaving behind only the echoes of its malevolent presence. In those harrowing moments, I made a silent vow never to hunt again. The thrill and the thrill and the thrill alone would no longer hold any appeal for me. One time for my birthday, I decided to go to this lake or hiking area by myself. It was a horrible birthday already, which was why I went out alone to rejuvenate and have some time to myself. I noticed this guy talking to two older people. He was staring at me, but I just ignored it. I eventually decided to move on and thought nothing of it. Later on, I hear someone walking behind me. Figure it's nothing. Until I notice it's the same guy who was staring at me earlier. This time he's alone, so I assume he wasn't with those people he was speaking with. And he was now following me. His pace increases until he catches up with me. Keep in mind, I'm on the trail that takes me back to my car. 
and I'm not even halfway there yet. The guy starts trying to talk to me and won't leave me alone. He asks me to get in his car and go somewhere with him. I don't remember where at this point. Now I'm scared and trying to hurry back to my car. He follows me the entire way back to my car. I just kept walking and got in and drove away. It was part of the Appalachian Trail. You hear about weirdos like that all the time. I just never thought it would happen to me or at this part of the trail. It's a super family-friendly place. I never went there alone again. My friends and I decided we wanted to trip on acid for the first time in the hills, and we were going to camp out for the night. It was me plus four of girls. We'll call them Allie, Sid, Madeline. And Neva, plus we brought our male friend Dylan as a trip sitter. We borrowed a tent and drove like an hour to where Dylan said he had been before. And it was apparently a little private beach in a lake with ledges to jump from. By the time we got there, it was 7 p.m. but still daylight. And we set up camp and took our acid. It was fine while it was still daylight. When it started to get cold, we wanted to make a fire but it turned out all the wood was wet and we had no more lighter fluid because we wasted it all trying to get it going. Our friend Madeline and Dylan decided to walk back to the car to go get some supplies, but that left the rest of us in darkness with two phones on acid somewhere we had never been before. Fast forward, they got back and we had a fire going for a while, and when it went out, we all laid back to look at the stars and listen to music. Then headlights popped up over top of this ledge that was to our right, we had to walk on foot just to get to this spot because of all the trees, so we had no idea how they were driving back there. We thought maybe it was the cops. It was a pickup truck, and it pulled up to the ledge and must have seen us. They somehow maneuver this truck down the ledge and get out, and it's a grown man and his grown son, I'm assuming, with either alcohol, vomit, or a mix of both on both shirts. The son is clearly belligerent, asking what we were doing out here while the dad stood by his truck door, silent but staring at us. He started asking if we've ever been to the bulldog or some crap, but I was so freaked out we all were. None of us were talking to him except Madeline, who was acting like she was beyond messed up. We kept telling her to stop, but she just comes right out and is like, I'll sell my body for money. I swear to God I cannot make this up. I've taken acid plenty of times now to know she was just acting out because there's no way one tab made her lose control like that. Thank the Lord they weren't actual creeps, because when they heard that, they pretty much got the F out of there. We packed up as soon as we saw they were gone, leaving half our crap and noticing our tent somehow had made its way into the water and already floated halfway out to the lake. We walked back through the woods with two phone flashlights, one of my friends numbed to the rocks under her feet, so she was trampling them and causing her feet to bleed. The whole night was just messed up. I forgot exactly where this was, but I took a trail that went through a bit of forest and undergrowth, then down a hill to a very beautiful lake. I was mostly alone on the trail. The people accompanying me were fairly far behind. I remember it was very quiet as well, nearly no noise except for the leaves quietly rustling in the breeze. About thirty feet away from the lake's edge, 
I paused to see nearly a dozen dead morning doves scattered beside the trampled path. No visible wounds, no bites, no gore, no obvious broken bones, and no decay or insects, because it seemed to have happened shortly before I arrived. They were just laying dead. It was pretty out of the way from habited areas as well, so I have no idea if they were poisoned by a jackass with a bird feeder, but it seemed an unlikely cause due to the area being so isolated. The silence combined with this scene made it feel very eerie. Officer Sarah Mitchell had dedicated her life to the police force, driven by an unrelenting pursuit of justice. For years, a notorious serial killer known as the Shadow had tormented their city, leaving a trail of mutilated victims and cryptic clues that seemed to lead nowhere. Sarah's obsession with capturing the Shadow consumed her every waking moment. As time passed and the death toll rose, Sarah's determination grew stronger. She spent countless hours poring over evidence, connecting dots, and studying the intricate patterns left by the killer. Sleepless nights were a norm, and her personal life began to wither as she delved deeper into the darkness of the case. One evening, after a particularly grueling day at the precinct, Sarah returned home to find an unmarked envelope on her doorstep. Curiosity mingled with unease as she tore it open to find a single sheet of paper with a handwritten message. Getting close, aren't you, Officer Mitchell? But do you really know the truth? Or are you just another pawn in my game? The blood drained from Sarah's face as she read the words. She had always suspected that the shadow had been watching her, taunting her, but this was different. This was personal. Over the next few weeks, Sarah's life descended into a nightmare. Anonymous letters arrived at her home, at the precinct, even slipped under her car windshield wipers. The letters contained chilling details about the victims, information that only the killer could know. Disturbing phone calls echoed in the night, each time a distorted voice whispering threats that seemed to emanate from the grave. Sleep became a distant memory as Sarah's grip on reality began to slip. Her colleagues grew concerned and her captain ordered her to take some time off, fearing that her obsession was jeopardizing the case and her own well-being. But Sarah couldn't step away. She knew she was closer than ever to catching the shadow, and she couldn't let go now. One night, as Sarah sat alone in her dimly lit apartment, she received a phone call. The voice on the other end was clear, chillingly familiar, and unmistakably real. It was the voice of one of the victims, a voice that had been silenced by the shadow's brutality. You're so... Sarah, the voice whispered, sending shivers down her spine. But remember, you're dancing with the dead. Can you handle the truth? In a surge of determination mixed with desperation, Sarah traced the call to an abandoned warehouse on the outskirts of the city. Armed with only her flashlight and her service weapon, she stepped into the darkness, her heart pounding in her chest. The air was heavy with an oppressive silence as Sarah ventured deeper into the warehouse's labyrinthine corridors. The dim light played tricks on her, casting eerie shadows that seemed to dance and shift with a life of their own. She pressed on, her steps echoing in the emptiness. And then she saw it, a figure standing in the distance, a tall and shadowy silhouette. 
It was him, the shadow. Fear and adrenaline surged through Sarah's veins as she raised her weapon and approached cautiously, her breath quickening. As she reached the figure, reality twisted and contorted. The shadow's form seemed to waver, his features blurring and shifting as if he was not entirely there. The voice that had haunted her emerged from his lips, a chorus of the victim's final moments. Sarah's mind raced, her sanity hanging by a thread. She felt as if she was trapped in a surreal nightmare, unable to discern truth from illusion. With a surge of resolve, she pulled the trigger, firing at the figure before her. The sound of the gunshot echoed through the warehouse, and the figure crumbled to the ground. Gasping for breath, Sarah approached the fallen form, her heart pounding in her chest. But as the dust settled, she realized that the figure before her was not the shadow, but a life-sized mannequin, a macabre effigy crafted by the killer to play with her mind. Defeated and broken, Sarah sank to her knees, tears mixing with sweat on her face. The realization hit her like a ton of bricks. The shadow had manipulated her every step, had driven her to the brink of madness. In the aftermath, the city mourned the loss of a brave officer. Sarah Mitchell's descent into darkness had cost her everything. Her career, her sanity, and ultimately her life. The elusive killer known as the Shadow had won, leaving behind a legacy of fear and unanswered question. As the years went by, the legend of Sarah Mitchell and her battle against the Shadow became a cautionary tale among law enforcement circles. And in the depths of the night, a whisper still lingered, a reminder that some games were never meant to be won and that some truths were best left buried in the shadows.